Joe Biden is separating migrant children from their guardians and putting them in cages filled to the brim without social distancing. The White House won't admit it. The president won't remember it. But we've got the receipts, and we shouldn't let anyone forget. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Old Schooled, who says, if this was the most secure election of all time, why is there an election reform bill going through Congress right now? You know, that's a great question. That's a great, you, you sound like one of those kooky, crazy conspiracy theorists. That question is so good. If the election is so this was absolutely no questions about it. There's been fraud in every single election we, we've ever had and that there has ever been in world history, but it, not this one. This one, it was absolutely 100% perfect. And that's why we need an unprecedented sweeping historic election reform bill, which is really just a massive, massive power grab by the left to upend our elections. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? It's the kind of question you can ponder over a lovely glass of delicious wine, which is why I would highly recommend First Leaf. Having a First Leaf Wine Club membership is like being a VIP in the world of wine. I can discover top-rated wine I love at an exclusive discounted cost with practically zero effort. First Leaf is a wine club that sends personalized selections of wine from top vineyards around the world right to your door. Every bottle is handpicked by experts with your exact preferences and palette in mind. No more guesswork or letdowns. Unlike other wine clubs, First Leaf uses an algorithm and your feedback to curate future wine recommendations, which means shipments only get better. I've always been skeptical of wine clubs. I was skeptical of First Leaf at first. I'd been members of other wine clubs. These guys are great. They send you wines. They kind of challenge your palate a little bit, but they're also in tune with your palate. And then as you rate them, they start to send you new stuff that you're going to like more and more. It's really terrific. Discover new wine like a VIP by becoming a First Leaf member. Join today. You'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping, which is a ridiculously low price. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles. That's six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles. Go check out First Leaf. Absolute great way to get some delicious wine today. Just a few days ago, Jen Psaki, our favorite current White House press secretary, was asked about certain criticism that the White House is getting from former President Donald Trump. Trump was observing that the Biden immigration policy is uh, dishonest and uh, falling apart before our very eyes, and that uh, Donald Trump handled the immigration question much better because he was at least forthright about what was going on. So he raised all these points, and Jen Psaki was offended at the question. We don't take our advice or counsel from former President Trump on immigration policy, which was not only uh, inhumane, but ineffective over the last four years. We're going to chart our own path forward, and that includes treating children with humanity and respect and ensuring they're safe when they cross our borders. So there's a problem with what she said. It's actually very similar to my favorite comment from yesterday, where where we're told it was the most secure election we've ever had. And also we are in desperate need of a massive election reform bill. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Here, Jen Psaki says that Donald Trump's immigration policy was inhumane and ineffective. 
But if it was inhumane, then it could not have been ineffective. If it was ineffective, it could not have been inhumane. What was inhumane? She's saying, well, you know, they wouldn't let all the illegal aliens through and they separated kids and they put kids in cages. And so it's very inhumane. Okay. But therefore it would have to be effective. It has to have some effect if it's going to be this big change and it's going to be inhumane. But she's saying, no, it was also ineffective. It didn't, it didn't work at all. It didn't achieve any of its objectives. Oh, okay. Well then what's the problem? What's the big deal? It was, it was the same argument that you heard from walls are cruel and awful and we should never build walls and it's un-American and also they don't work. Oh, they don't work. Then what's, what are you so worried about? <laughs> it seems to me you're worried because they obviously do work. Then Jen Psaki gets to the real question, which is these people pouring, pouring across the border, specifically kids pouring across the border. What's Joe Biden going to do? Are there any discussions within the White House about reversing the policy of allowing all unaccompanied children into the United States? No. None at all. So I guess is the plan then to take in and safely and humanely find a home for an unlimited number of unaccompanied children? I think this issue requires us taking a step back as human beings um, and as mothers, of which I am one. I know that there are many in the room or many at home. Um, these kids are coming. They are fleeing prosecution. They are fleeing difficult circumstances in their home country. Uh, when they come here, all we're, we're talking about here is ensuring that they are treated safely. They are not trafficked. They are not sent back uh, on a uh, unsafe journey. Uh, that's what we're talking about. The kids are fleeing prosecution. Like what? They their tax cheats or something? What do you mean they're fleeing prosecution? What, what little criminal kids are coming into our? Oh, she meant persecution. Okay, that was only a minor problem with her answer. The question is, are you going to let unlimited numbers of these illegal foreign children come into the country? And she doesn't want to say yes, because that will irritate most Americans who want controls on immigration. But she doesn't want to say no, because that will irritate the Democrats' radical left-wing base. And also because it doesn't seem compassionate, right? Now, of course, in reality, this kind of open borders policy, which creates incentives for more and more kids to come over. It's actually the opposite of compassion because the majority of just women and girls, for instance, who cross the border illegally are raped or assaulted on the journey. So it creates all these awful incentives. It's a terrible, terrible situation, but in a very limited way, it doesn't seem compassionate. Okay. Jen Psaki, though, is very clear. They do not take advice from President Trump on immigration policy until now. <laughs> until now, because their policy was not working. It was creating all of these problems. And so what is the Biden administration doing now? They're, they're now doing exactly what Trump did. And you don't need to take my word for it. Listen to the mainstream media even having to admit this. New York Times, the number of unaccompanied migrant children detained along the southern border has tripled in the last two weeks to more than 3,250, 3,250, filling facilities akin to jails as the Biden administration struggles to find room for them in shelters. So New York Times admitting Joe Biden is putting kids in cages. USA Today, still sheltering children separated, uh, the Biden administration rather, is still sheltering children separated from close family members in federal facilities for weeks on end, something immigrant advocates and attorneys had hoped the new administration would resolve by now. They're apparently being separated for weeks. Joe Biden 
putting kids in cages, separating them from their families. And then Axios reports, Biden administration is allowing the facilities to operate at 100% capacity to meet the demand of the huge surge in illegal immigration taking place on the southern border. The centers were previously allowed to only operate at 50% capacity to adhere to social distancing guidelines. So we had been told just a few weeks ago, Jen Psaki said, well, look, we need these overflow facilities, which sort of look like the cages that Donald Trump put the kids in, that actually Joe Biden and Barack Obama built all those years ago. Uh, but the reason we have to do that is because it would be insane to put these kids in a facility that was more than 50% capacity, then they might get the virus. What, are you crazy? You want us to do that? Now they're saying, yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing, which makes a lot more sense to me because children are at a very, 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 very statistically infinitesimally small risk from the virus. The Biden administration, after flailing and failing in their immigration policy, is now reverting to the policy of the Trump administration that was effective and that Kamala Harris and members of the Biden administration referred to as crimes against humanity. We were told by Jen Psaki, none of this sort of thing was happening. We have a number of unaccompanied minors, children who are coming into the country without their families. What we are not doing, what the last administration did, was separate those kids rip them from the arms of their parents at the border. We are not doing that. That is immoral and that is not the approach of this administration. Uh, just a quick update. Yes, we are doing that. And, but now it's moral because we're doing it and it's not the orange man. If you read the New York Times, which I don't recommend, but if you do, if you read USA Today, if you read Axios, you will see that what Jen Psaki just said there is not true. Maybe it was true then, a week or two ago. It's not true now. The Biden administration is doing exactly the same thing. How many conservatives are there, count myself among them, who have liberal friends and relatives who were harangued, or rather the relatives harangued all of us for months and months and years and years saying, how can you support this evil fascist Trump administration that's separating kids from their families and putting them in cages. Uh, because as Jen Psaki has been saying, it's a difficult situation and the Democrats would do exactly the same thing. And the Democrats are doing exactly the same thing. And I just don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it. Unfortunately, this isn't being covered. Probably this will only be covered on conservative podcasts, maybe in some of the conservative media in the, in the established media, but uh, probably most, most left-wingers won't hear about it. So maybe you should tell your left-wing relatives who have been bugging you about this for years and years. Some Democrats are waking up a little bit here. Democrat Henry Cuellar, Democrat representative from Texas, is actually going further. He's saying, yeah, the Biden administration is mishandling this whole migration issue. They are, uh, they're lying about not just the kid, not separating the kids from their parents and not just about putting kids in cages. They're also lying about the numbers that are coming in. Let's look at the numbers. Since uh, uh, August of last year, the numbers have been increasing. Uh, and especially October, November, and December, we were hitting 70,000. Uh, 70, uh, in January, we had 78,000. And this is, again, under the Trump administration, now moving into the Biden administration. Biden might have started under Trump, 
But when you're the president, you own the situation, whether it's a success or not a success, success it's going to own it. I think in February we're going to get about 100,000. Uh, and again, I don't care what we call it, but I can tell you this. Uh, those numbers of people that are being released, they're purposely uh, withholding that information. They've been told not to withhold that information. I now know that they're bringing people from McAllen over to Laredo, processing them in Laredo, and they're going to release them in my community. So this is a pretty serious charge that the federal government right now, the administration, is hiding the numbers. So we know we're getting some numbers out there of this number of adults coming through, this number of kids, this number of people being released. But actually what Henry Cuellar is saying is they're hiding the magnitude, the enormity of this issue. Reminds us of another democratic political scandal right now, which would be Andy Cuomo in New York, whose policies directly led to the deaths of thousands of elderly New Yorkers. And then what did he do when he realized this? He hid the numbers. He hid the numbers from a federal inquiry. So that's the accusation that's going on now. We'll, we'll get to Cuomo in just, just a little bit. But first, speaking of uh, security, you've got to check out Ring. So much is going on at our front door these days. That is one thing that has not changed. It's actually gotten uh, much, much worse. <laughs> you've got people coming who want to deliver food. I guess that's a good thing. I'll let them in, you know. People who want to deliver clothing and gifts for my cute little newborn baby, that's good too. Sometimes relatives want to visit. Um, so, well, it's better, you know, it's better to know who's outside the door before you open the door. We'll just leave it at that, okay? Ring will allow you to do that. You can see and speak with whoever is at your door, whether you're in your bedroom, whether you are at the office, maybe that you, you are on a beach somewhere on the other side of the world. It's got motion detection, so you'll get notified even if the people outside don't ring the door. If someone stops by, something's going on, Ring is going to let you know. Also makes a great housewarming gift, which I give away to my friends, in part because it's not very expensive. Uh, so you give a great gift. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Helps me feel safe when I'm on the road. Sweet little Elisa's at home. Right now, get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit at ring.com slash Knowles. Comes with Ring's Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro. The perfect way to upgrade your front door and start your Ring experience. Ring.com slash Knowles. That is ring.com slash Knowles. Speaking of difficult immigration cases, Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle. This story has fascinated the entire world. The interview between Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, who when he was occasionally allowed to speak, and Oprah Winfrey. And some people say this is a frivolous sort of interview. It's not. I think it actually gets at the heart of the decay of our political system. Differences that we have, not just between the United States and the United Kingdom, but differences we have between the old order the old standards of duty and responsibility and love of country and a new culture that's replaced it of narcissism and selfishness and pursuing one's appetites ad infinitum. Meghan Markle explaining why she had to flee. She had to get out of there because, you know, we, we talked about her a little bit yesterday. She was so overwhelmed. Do you know these royals, they expected her to Google the national anthem of her adopted country into which royal family she was marrying. <laughs> you know, she is shocking. They wanted her to learn some hymns before her massive wedding in the Church of England, uh, which uh, her family, her new adopted family, uh, actually runs. Shocking, awful. Can you believe that kind of burden? 
Who was she going to turn to to teach her how to be a royal? Her fiance, the prince? Uh, no, I don't know. That's so, that'd be outrageous. How could you do that? But she goes further. She's alleging racism, which is sort of the signature crime of, of liberal modernity. There are no, no other crime can even come close to the crime of racism, which is expanding in its, its definition by the day and even by the hour. Meghan Markle says that the royals did not want to give Archie or any of her children uh, the, the title prince. Uh, you know, the Williams kids would be called prince and princess, but not Harry and Meghan's kids. And this was very offensive. And do you know, some unnamed members of the royal family actually raised questions about the skin color, the skin tone of Archie before he would be born. Here are the allegations. If they can compare what the experience that I went through was similar to what has been shared with us, Kate was called Weighty Katie, waiting to marry William. While I imagine that was really hard, and I do, I can't picture what that felt like. This is not the same. And if a member of his family will comfortably say, we've all had to deal with things that are rude, rude and racist are not the same. Rude and racist are not the same. This is true. Racism is a type of rudeness. Rudeness, this kind of, you know, simple word here, really what she's saying is adversity. Racism is a type of adversity. Racism and adversity are not the same thing because there are many other types of rudeness and adversity. Racism is just one of them. But for Markle and for the entire left, racism, race, is the defining feature of life. So you can be rich. You can be famous. You can be a Hollywood starlet. You can marry a prince, one of the best known princes left in the world. You can be accepted into the royal family. But if you are even slightly dark, if you can in any way claim membership in a racial victim group, which Meghan Markle, I guess can, she certainly does, then you are oppressed. There was a Babylon Bee headline yesterday saying, Meghan Markle inspires millions of girls by, by showing them that no matter how rich and beautiful and famous you are, you still can claim to be oppressed. That's what she's doing here. And the reason that this interview totally backfired, this was supposed to be a big PR move by Meghan Markle to make herself likable and to vilify the British royal family. And I think it had the opposite effect. I don't think the queen has ever been more popular in her entire life. And I don't think Meghan Markle's ever been more unpopular because she totally misread the situation. She's so divorced from the reality of, of her situation. She's so consumed by this frivolous, shallow, ridiculous, racial grievance ideology that she can't recognize her own immense, extraordinary privilege. And more than that, she exemplifies this tendency in modernity to want all the privileges and not want any of the duty. To her, I mean, she's, she's spelling this out in the Oprah interview. She thinks, oh, wow, gosh, being a princess is great. 
I get to be rich and famous and wear a tiara and live in fancy castles. Man, this sounds awesome. Sign me up. Oh, wait a second. I have to do things. Oh, I, I don't have the total liberty to do whatever I want at any given time of the day. Ugh, yeah, that doesn't sound good. Harry, divorce your family. Do it or do it or else. Leave all your friends and family uh, or else I'm going to do something horrible and you better, you better listen to me. That, that was the takeaway from the interview. And in Markle's own perverse mind, in her warped mind, she's the victim, but she's not, she's not the victim. Even this, this claim here that uh, it was a slight by the royal family that little Archie was not going to be styled a prince. Does that really hold up to scrutiny? Here's her claim. In those months when I was pregnant, all around this same time, so we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security, he's not going to be given a title, and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? What? First of all, I, I don't believe this woman. As Piers Morgan said, uh, you know, uh, he wouldn't believe her if she was reading him her, like the menu at breakfast in the morning or something, right? Something to that effect. Um, so I don't, I don't, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying I have, there's no reason to believe anything that this woman says, but let's say something like this did happen. Was the conversation, you know, that boy, you know, Megan, because you are slightly dark skinned, like very, very slightly, like people wouldn't pick up on it. Like my Sicilian mother was much darker skinned than Meghan Markle, much, much, much more so. If that boy comes out even slightly swarthy, he, we have to banish everyone from the kingdom. This is a horrible, do you think it was that conversation or do you think it was, hmm, I wonder who he's going to look like? Because I don't know, I'm much darker skinned than my wife. When we were discussing what our kid would look like. I say, oh, I wonder what it'll look like. Will he have your eyes? Will he have your nose? Will he have your skin color? I don't know. He actually did get my skin color. Which conversation was it? It seems to me that if the conversation were a vicious, bigoted conversation about how much they're going to hate Harry or Archie rather, if he comes out slightly dark, because I guess the kid is what? He's like an eighth black or something. That, you know, that would be terrible for the royal family. Don't you think that conversation would have happened before Harry got married. Don't you think that conversation would have happened before the royal family accepted Meghan Markle, before Prince Charles walked her down the aisle, before the royal family bent over backwards and did everything to welcome this woman? Did they, ju- they just learned, right? Right when the kid was about to be born, they said, oh my gosh, this woman is somewhat black. Oh my goodness. Wow. We need to do something about, uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think that was the case at all. As for the title, King George V, the grandfather of Queen Elizabeth, uh, declared in the early 20th century, quote, the grandchildren of the sons of any such sovereign in the direct male line, save only the eldest living son of the eldest son of the Prince of Wales, shall have and enjoy in all occasions the style and title enjoyed by the children of dukes of this realm. In layman's terms, what that means is that all the little boys in the direct male line from the, from the king will be styled prince in the line of succession. Harry is the son of 
Charles. But Harry is not second in line to the throne or third in line to the throne or fourth or fifth. He's sixth now in line to the throne. If William has more kids, he'll be even further away. Archie, far further away than that. It doesn't just go on like that forever. This is something that has been a longstanding convention. No evidence whatsoever that it is racist or bigoted. But everything in this world has to come down to race. And I think some of the revulsion that people feel at this absolutely sickening interview between the Markles, Mr. and Mrs. Markle, and Oprah is this sick obsession with race and this failure to have gratitude for anything that we have, even if you're a rich, famous, beautiful princess or prince. Head on over to dailywire.com. Check out uh, Ben's show where he talks about all the things that Joe Biden is doing and most of the things that Joe Biden doesn't even know that he's doing. Also head on over, subscribe to the Michael Knowles Show YouTube channel. You can like, you can comment, you can subscribe. We've got some uh, fun stuff coming up. Woke white guilt commercials and a new, very official, important tier ranking system for, uh, to use the language of the youths, how based you are. That's like the, that's the cool new lingo for how knuckle dragging right wing you are. Go check it out. Uh, It's on the YouTube channel. We'll be right back with a lot more. It has finally happened. Dr. Seuss, as you know, was canceled by his publisher. Six highly offensive cartoons. What is the offense? I don't know. I still can't figure it out. Canceled by his publisher in those six books. Therefore, you can't find the books really anymore on Amazon. You can buy them on the secondhand market. They're like almost $700 a piece. You can't get them on eBay occasionally you'll still see them pop up, but eBay has said they are going to remove these items from the marketplace. But New York Public Library had said, we're not going to remove them from the library. That's good. Kids can still check out the Dr. Seuss books from their libraries. We're We're not having library purges yet of children's books. Chicago, it's a different story. Chicago Public Library has said that they are going to cancel these Dr. Seuss books. According to uh, Chicago Public Library spokesman Patrick Malloy, officials are deeply committed to promoting reading material that provides accurate and current information. And apparently these Dr. Seuss cartoons, they weren't accurate. You know, it turns out that people aren't like sort of green bunny rabbit looking things. It turns out that cats don't really wear hats. Did you know that? <laughs> what is, what is, accurate and current information with regard to children's books. Current here is an important aspect of it too. So this spokesman says, quote, it is important to recognize that what society understands to be relevant and or common knowledge changes over time. And so too does the library and the needs of the communities it serves. Library staff encourage patrons of all ages to engage critically with our materials but materials that become dated or that foster inaccurate, culturally harmful stereotypes are removed to make space for more current, comprehensive materials. That word, dated, I think that's the key here. Because in a very basic sense, all reading material becomes dated over time. I don't think so. I mean, I think that 
I, I don't partake of this very left-wing vision of culture and history, that the past, bad, future, good, present, wonderful. I think that there's much to be learned from the past. And in many ways, the past was superior to the time we're living in now. In some ways it's not, in some ways it is. By the logic of this left-winger at the Chicago Library, they're going to get rid of all the books in the library because they're all dated to some degree. Goodness gracious, the Bible is dated in some ways. When are we going to get rid of all that too? The, the very purpose of a library is to preserve these works of art, and literature, and history. Keep them in a nice special place where you can go and access that knowledge, even without money. Go in, you can check it out, and you can preserve that culture throughout the ages. And what the spokesman for the Chicago Library is saying is, no, we don't want those old ages. Get rid of that stuff. Might as well torch the library. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic. Because it, it isn't just about Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss is this kind of silly example of it. But this has been going on for a long time, and it's getting much, much worse. The library further added, quote, that they want to ensure that the materials we circulate are responsive to the communities we serve. The purpose of a library is not to be responsive to the communities we serve. The purpose of a, that, that's the purpose of a fast food restaurant. Fast food restaurant is supposed to cater to the appetites of the customer. Movie theaters, same thing. Libraries are different. The purpose of a library is to educate, to entertain to a degree, to serve as a homeless shelter if you're in Los Angeles, sure. Primarily, the purpose is to educate. And education is not about serving the appetites and desires of the student. Education is about instructing the student in what they should know and what is not worth knowing, in what is true and what is false, in what is right and what is wrong, in what is good and in what is bad. That is an arrogant act, you might say. It's an arrogant act because the people who curate the library are telling you this is better than that. Read this, this you don't need to read. This we're going to include in our catalog, this we're not. And that's what the library is still doing. No matter what gobbledygook they say about, we need to be responsive to community. It's not quite, quite that way. There may, maybe they're responding to public pressure, but they're curating an experience. And what they're saying is that old, old things are bad undermines the premise of a library. Just one more reason that people are leaving places like Chicago. According to the Associated Press right now, 144 cities could be downgraded from the term metropolitan to micropolitan. They're being a download, a downgraded rather, uh, according to the metropolitan statistical area status, and uh, this is because people are fleeing the cities right now. Why are people fleeing the cities? Well, in part because a bunch of sociopath politicians have locked everyone in, inside for a year. So if you live in New York, I lived in New York for a very long time. If you live in Manhattan, say, or even Brooklyn, or even a little further out, 
you live in a very small little pod. My first apartment after college in Manhattan, I was sharing it with two other guys. My bedroom was 70 square feet, seven zero. Uh, we couldn't get the bed in through the door. We actually had to build a sort of fake wall that didn't even go all the way up to the ceiling after we put the bed in and it didn't have any windows. And I spent a lot of money on that apartment. I, I, it was like something like $1,100 a month, maybe more. You do that. You live in a little shoebox in the cities because your living room is the city itself. You go to the bars, you go to the restaurants, you go to the museums. If you're in New York, you go to Central Park, you go to beer gardens, right? You go to the theater. What, that, the whole city is your playground. If all that's shut down, there is zero reason to pay those exorbitant prices to live in a little matchbox in the city. So people are moving out. This is great news. Excellent news. Part of the reason they're doing it too is, you know, obviously people are commuting on their computers now, right? It's Zoom meetings, can't do it for every job, but a lot of jobs and especially jobs of yuppies who are living in Manhattan, you can telecommute. So people are leaving. This is great news for conservatives. We should celebrate it. There's very rarely great news for conservatives in our news cycle. So we should take the win when we can. Urbanization leads to liberalism and progressivism. It just happens. It's always the way that happens. When cities start to go from red to blue, it's because the cities are growing. There is something about being attracted to the cities that makes people more left-wing. We could spend hours and hours talking about why that is, but suffice it to say that is a, an eternal fact with very, very few exceptions throughout history, if any exceptions. When people leave the cities, this is very good news for conservatives. Now, one of the reasons that people fleeing to the, moving into the cities, that urbanization is so bad for conservatives is not just because it gives more power centers in red states and maybe flip states. It's also because it homogenizes the culture. So it removes localism. If you were to look at America hundred years ago before sort of mass urbanization, you would have seen lots of different little cultures. It's even clearer if you look at a country like Italy, where you have lots of little cultures all over the place. But now as the cities have grown, the cities are all basically the same. They all really resemble one another quite a lot. And uh, the culture becomes much more standardized. Very bad for localism, subsidiarity, federalism, conservative governance. The fear here is that as libs leave the cities and move into the suburbs and exurbs and out into the country, that this is actually going to be bad because they're going to turn our nice conservative places blue. I'm not that worried about that. I'm much happier removing some of the power of the cities, dispersing those libs throughout the countryside and the suburbs and the exurbs, if they really do that. Because while it might cost us a couple of elections for city council or I guess town council or town supervisor or something, what that will do, the benefit of that I think will outweigh the negative, which is it will force libs to be around conservatives. When you're in the city, you don't really need to be around conservatives. When you're in the country or even the suburbs, you do. And you have to realize then that what you were told on CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times is not true. You're going to have to realize, because you're just going to see it with your neighbors, that the Trump supporters are not Nazis. They're not literally Hitler. You have been lied to. You're going to get along with people. You, you have to get back together again if you want to have a functioning country. 
If everyone's just going to go to their own little corners and we're all going to live in our own little pods and our sort of semi-virtual realities with very little in common, then you don't have much of a country. We need to get together again, not just by moving, moving out into more spacious territories, but also by meeting up, getting together, having Thanksgiving, having Christmas, celebrating birthdays. We haven't been allowed to do that by the psychos in the CDC and the public health experts and the politicians for a year. Now though, good news from the CDC, a year into two weeks to slow the spread, they're going to let us see one another again in very limited circumstances. CDC recommends that fully vaccinated people can visit with other fully vaccinated people in small gatherings indoors without wearing masks or physical distancing. So what does this mean? If you and a friend or you and a family member are both vaccinated, you can have dinner together wearing masks without distancing. You can visit your grandparents if you have been vaccinated and they have been too. I know that I can see my friends. I know that I can go meet up with people at their houses or in public. I know that I can see my relatives because I've been doing that for a year because I've been ignoring all of you awful tyrants, all of you awful lab coat dictators who have been changing your guidance day by day, changing your reasoning day by day, but somehow the, the rules always seem to stay the same or get worse. I know I can do all that. I'm pleased that you, uh, the rest of the people who have been following you very foolishly will now be told that, but we've known this for a very long time. I, uh, strongly recommend that you take advantage of this opportunity. If you have not gone and seen your friends and relatives, you absolutely should go do it. But the CDC is not going to let go of all the power yet. See, they're saying, well, if it's a, if it's a vaccinated person, seeing someone who is unvaccinated, who knows someone who's this, then you can't, you've got to forget about it. Forget about it. I think they know that they're losing power. And I think they know that people, you just look around you and see people are just violating it. They've had enough of this stuff. And so they're going to start to let up on it. Just ignore these people. There is no re- they have just been wrong and wrong and wrong again. They have, the public health expert apparatus has in some cases been outright dishonest. And I just don't see any reason to, to pay any attention to them whatsoever. You've got to get back together. It is disordered to muzzle yourself in public, to not be able to see your fellow citizens smiling faces. It is disordered not to go see your friends and relatives, not to gather together. Man is a social animal and there are, there are more important things in life than uh, a, a, a cough. If you're in an extraordinary, extraordinarily at-risk group, you know, be prudent. Prudence is a virtue. But that's not really what I notice. Most people I know who are sort of up there in age, they're the least likely people to wear their masks because they know better. They're the least likely people to refuse to see anybody. The people I notice doing this are all these perfectly healthy millennials who have a totally warped sense of themselves in the world. It's the sort of Meghan Markle generation. <laughs> they don't, they've just totally gone, uh, gone upside down. Come together, everybody. I beg you. We need to appropriate cultures. We need to appropriate, and you're not allowed to appropriate culture, but we do need to get together again. Chris Cuomo just got in trouble for cultural appropriation because Chris Cuomo was on TV talking to his friend, Don Lemon, as uh, Tucker Carlson calls him. And 
Chris Cuomo made the claim that he's black on the inside. Take a listen. Just looking out of the window, watching the the asphalt grow, (laughs) thinking how it all looks handy. How do you know the words to good times? You know I'm black on the inside. Good times, anytime you need a favorite. So Florida. Chris Cuomo, very in trouble for this shocking microaggression, macroaggression. You can tell Don Lemon doesn't seem to care about it. Uh, I hate, I'm not going to defend Chris Cuomo, but in this particular moment, I guess I have to. You can't at once tell people be less white and then also tell them don't appropriate any cultures. Good Times is a great TV show. It's not the greatest black sitcom of the era. That award would go to the Jeffersons. But there's actually an important lesson to take out of this stupid bantering between the two of them, which is you've got to get together, talk to one another, see one another, take the stupid mask off. So you can actually communicate with one another. Enjoy one another's cultures. Not be so prideful, not be so arrogant, not be so demanding, not be so trigger happy to be offended all the time. Then you're going to have a country. I'm not even, this isn't just some rousing sort of feel good. Come on, we all got to get together. I'm just saying, if you, if you do that, you have a country. If you don't do that, you don't have a country. Which way will the country go? There is some very good news on the political front for we here on the right in the Republican party. David Bossie, chairman of the RNC Debate Commission, was just uh, speaking with Breitbart at uh, CPAC, and he did something, or he committed to do something, that a lot of us on the right have been begging the Republican Party to do for years and years and years, which is, for years now, we know that the mainstream media are the opposition party. We know that the mainstream media, so-called mainstream media, the establishment media, legacy media, whatever you want to call them, They are Democrats. They work for the Democrats. They push the Democrats' narratives. There is no distinction really to be made between the media and the Democrats. And yet we allow those mainstream media to run our presidential debates. The left doesn't do that. The left doesn't go to Daily Wire and say, hey, Daily Wire, we want you to moderate the Democratic presidential debate. They don't know that they go to their guys. And yet for some reason, Republicans go to their guys too. Well, David Bossie now saying no more. So what we're doing is we're going to make sure that the presidential debates uh, are fair, are, are on the networks that are not going to beat us up. Um, uh, and, and therefore, uh, look, we're not going to be having any of the CNN and MSNBCs of the world. So we're going to do a great job. And I think that the, the, the party is going to be better off for it. The party will be much, much better off for that. I'm not saying that NBC or some left-wing outlet can't moderate an actual presidential debate between the Democrats, Democratic nominee and the Republican nominee. Probably you're going to have to do that, at least do one of the debates if we ever have more debates. But why would you let the opposition moderate your own party's primary campaigns? Doesn't make any sense at all. Glad to see that after years and years and decades and decades, the Republicans are waking up to this. Speaking of Cuomo's, speaking a little earlier of Chris Cuomo, we have to turn from Fredo to Michael, from Chris to Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo is under fire. The Democratic leaders in his state are calling on him to resign. Cuomo says, impeach me. This according to the Associated Press. In a brief phone conversation Sunday prior to the press conference, Cuomo told New York State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, that he would not quit and they would have to impeach him if they want him out of office. I love this. 
Oh, do I love this. One, I admire Andrew Cuomo. Not general, generally speaking, I think he's a degenerate and a derelict, but, but I admire his political courage here because what Cuomo's seeing is he's looking around and he's saying, okay, you opportunist Dems, you people are getting rid of me now because of some ginned up contrived sex thing where no one's even alleging that any of us had any sex. You're just kind of, it's just some very vague me too political thing. When we all know that you're going to go after me for the handling of COVID and for the cover-up of COVID, but you don't want to admit that that's why you're going after me because that's going to make all of you look bad. Well, okay. If you really want me out, impeach me. What are you going to impeach me for? Are you going to impeach me for giving uh, an Italian sausage and pepper sandwich to a reporter? which is actually one of the complaints that (laughs) Democrats are making here. That one time Andrew Cuomo was at some political event and a reporter was hungry and he gave her a sausage and pepper sandwich and made jokes about eating the sandwich. Are you going to impeach me for that? Or are you going to impeach me for killing thousands of elderly New Yorkers and covering it up? A crime that implicates a lot of you people too. What are you going to do? Impeach me. I love it. I totally, I think that is a great one. Good for him for standing up for his career. I don't like his political career, but good for him for standing up for it. And uh, the other reason I love it is the the schadenfreude here, because now I've got to watch all these Democrats in New York squirm because they don't want to go after him for that. Does he survive? It's hard to see how he survives. I mean, he's really, really under fire right now. But if anybody can do it, it's Andrew Cuomo. You shouldn't count that guy out too soon. He's clearly going to exercise all of his options until he can do so and no more. Speaking of people running for president, we have some uh, potential uh, presidential nominees in 2024. And the question is, who are they going to run against? Are they going to run against Joe Biden? Are they going to run against Kamala Harris? Well, Joe Biden was recently giving a press conference. And uh, during that press conference, he forgot the name of uh, the Pentagon, his secretary of defense, and then uh, had to be told where to go after he left the podium. I want to thank you both, and I want to thank the, the, the uh, former general, I keep calling him general, but my, my, uh, the guy who runs that outfit over there. Uh, I want to make sure we thank the secretary for all he's done to try to implement what we've just talked about and for recommending these two women for promotion. Thank you all. May God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. All right, now, he turns, faces Kamala, faces, okay, one of the service women, and then, huh, where do I, turns, he's got his back to the reporters, where do I, huh, wait a minute, where's that guy, what's that guy, this, the general, he's not a general, no, is he, is a, is he a lieutenant, no, he's not, he's more than a, was he a secretary, secretary, that's right, secretary of what, def, uh, hmm. anyway, thank you. Somebody tells me that guy is not going to be the nominee in 2024. We are like two months into his first, not even, not even, we're like a, less than a month and a half into his first year in office. And the guy can't remember the name of his cabinet secretaries. So what does this mean for 2024? Is it Kamala? Maybe. 
who runs against Kamala. Lots of uh, people, Mike Pompeo intimating that he might be interested in running. Uh, Ron DeSantis seems poised to run lots. Uh, my colleague here, Candace Owens, has said she might run for president. Uh, lots of other, lots of other uh, candidates about to throw their hats in the ring. We might be uh, not, not at the beginning of the new Biden era. We might, we might be at the end of something here. And what, what comes next, that I suppose is up to us. I hope it's up to us. I hope it's not too late for us to still have a say in our government. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. A new online trend has some people declaring themselves super straight. BLM protesters fight against racism by harassing little girls on their way to a cheerleading competition. Minneapolis braces for rioting as the Derek Chauvin trial begins. And lonely people have given rise to a new trend, cow cuddling. We'll discuss that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.